0: coming to a close, our series on the Psalms is going to come to a close. And with that, so what I've been asking you to do is, I said, preach, sorry, read uh, the sermon, the the Psalm that was just preached in the morning, and then the Psalm that's going to be preached at night. And so this morning I'm preaching Psalm 2, and so I'd encourage you to read Psalm 2 this next week, uh, every morning, and then next week is going to be Psalm 139, uh, with with John's going to be preaching 139. And so i encourage you to, to read Psalm 139 at night. And the idea is that we, we meditate and we sit in, we, we, we let these, these psalms absorb us. And uh, so the one is in preparation of what's going to be preached, and the other one is in reflection of what's been preached. And so uh, I would encourage you to do both. And then after we close, just so you know, after we close our series on uh, the psalms, so this is going to be the first week after Labor Day weekend, is then we'll return back to Genesis. For those of you who are with us last fall, uh, I preached through Genesis 1 through 3 in the fall slash January. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I, my, my commitment it was to come back in the fall again to then preach Genesis 4 through 11. And so we're going to get all, we're going to get the Cain and Abel, we're going to get the Noah, we're going to get the Tower of Babel. So there's going to be a lot of good stuff that's going to be in there. And so I'd encourage you to start reading 4 through 11 and even writing down maybe some of the questions that you have because that's where we're going to spend our fall. And my goal is that every year, every fall, we come back and take a new chunk out of Genesis. So we're taking the next, the next chunk that will take us basically from Cain and Abel all the way up right before Abraham. And so that's going to be Genesis 11, so you can start reading that. This morning, though, is Psalm chapter 2, the second psalm. We've preached Psalm 1 as the first psalm of the series. And actually, a lot of people think that even maybe Psalm 1 and 2 go together. And so some would say, actually, Psalm 1 and 2 belong together. There's there's the blessed at the beginning of Psalm 1. There's a blessed at the the end of Psalm 2. And they go, that means that these belong together. I've preached them separately, but some believe they go together. Psalm 2 is is what we would call a royal psalm. It talks about the king. It's also a messianic psalm, this idea that there is the anointed one coming. In fact, we're even going to see the term anointed this morning. Messiah just means anointed. Christ means anointed. The Christ is the Greek. Messiah is the Hebrew. And so when we say that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, we're saying Jesus, Jesus, anointed, anointed, right? That's all we're saying It's in different, different, different ways. And so, this is a royal psalm that talks about God as the king. God establishing his king. Now, there's a lot to be said about God being the king and God being established as the king from, from beginning to end in the Bible. You know, there, there is this, 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 this theocracy where the idea is that Israel was ruled by God as their king, and then the judges, you could read about this in the book of Judges, and all that the judges would do is say that God is our king. It's, just, it's our job to carry out his rule. That's all that we do. His rule has already been established, and as good judges, we just carry that out. But then first Samuel comes along, and what they say to, to God is they say, well, they say to Samuel, who was the last judge, they say to Samuel, say, Samuel, give us, give us a king like all the other nations. Give us a real king problem was is that God says, but I am their king. Yeah, we get that. Sure, yeah, we get that. But we want, we want a real king like all the other nations have. We want to be like everybody else. And the interesting thing is that the distinction that they had, they had a distinction as God is their king. Nobody else could say that. No other country could say that. No other people could say that God is our king, that, that Yahweh is our king. Then and what they did was they gave up their distinction to be like everybody else. This idea that we want to just sort of like fit in. I've got two complaining complaints that when I when I talk to God. Two complaints, two prayers when I talk to God. And I praying back and forth between the two. And the one is the one is I want God to give me a story that's unique. I want him to tell a different story through my life. But then every time he does, I complain that my story doesn't look like everybody else's, right? And so this is what they do. You you could be like, we we want to be like all the other nations. And so the scriptures are constantly talking about this idea as then, as God is your king, God is your king, God is your king. Then we reject him as king, and then he comes back as king. An interesting thing with, with all of this is that one of the things that we have done in Christianity, right, is we have turned, we have turned Jesus into what? Our best friend. Jesus is my best friend. And, and, and hear me on this, right? You have, you will have no other best friend. You will have no greater friend than Jesus. But here's the problem. Is that what we've done in Christianity is we've turned Jesus into our best friend and we have left him there. The problem is he's our, he's our best friend who also happens to be king. It's a good thing to be king with the friend, uh, friends with the king. But let us not like confuse the two. Because, like, friends give advice that should be weighed, but kings give edicts that are to be followed, right? And if all we ever do is just listen to Jesus as our counselor, as our advice giver, but we never follow him as king, then all we'll ever have is a friend. But I'm going to submit to you that you need more than a friend in Jesus. I'm going to submit to you that you have a lot of friends. None of them as good as Jesus, but you've got a lot of friends. What you need is a king. And so this is where we, we find ourselves. And then the psalm is going to deal with something else because because I, I think about like what are we, so we've got kings, and then what are we to make about the world today? There's you look within our nation, I'm not sure if you've done this recently, but if you look within our nation, there's a great struggle for power and control. And then if you look at our world, just read one of the headlines probably from today. I haven't even looked at the news today, but just read one of the headlines from the news today. You look at our nation, a struggle for power and control. You look at our world and you find the exact same thing. A struggle for power and control. And then you look at your own life. And there's a struggle for power and control. And here we have Psalm 2. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 2. We're going to start in verse 1. Why do the nations rage... And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, that's that's Mashiach, the Messiah, against His anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart, cast away their cords from us. Let me read that again. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves... And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. I want you to think for a second. Now, this is going to be hard for you. But I want you to imagine a world in which the nations are raging. Whoa. I know, hard, isn't it? You're like, no, not hard at all. Why are the nations raging? I thought people like, Josh, why are the nations raging? Well, that's a great question. That's a great question. But you are not the first person to ask said question. Like take Psalm 2, why are the nations raging? And it tells me something. It tells me that raging nations are nothing new. Raging nations have been around for a really long time, but it's interesting, right? Because what we think, what we think, where we should be. There's this sense that we should be at a world peace, right? I mean, world peace isn't world peace the goal? And they ask all the beauty contestants, "What do you want? World peace? I want world peace. Why? That's the safe goal. That's the safe goal for the world." that we'd be a a world that would be at peace. And so it's interesting because because there's this sense that world peace is something that we need to get to, but more than just get to, that world peace is actually something that we need to return to. It feels like that the peace of the world isn't something that's going to be achieved, as almost almost it's more of like something that we need to get back to. But I go, but if you look at history, at what point are we talking about? Like what are we trying to get back to? How far would we have to go? I'll tell you how far, Genesis 2. So there's this sense that we should be this world at peace, that we're not this world at peace, but we're trying to get back to a world of peace. The nations raging are nothing new. But here is interesting in chapter in Psalm 2 is that they aren't necessarily raging against each other, are they? I mean, look at it. Why do the nations rage? You go, oh, yes, why do, why do they rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? But look at the next in verse 2, though. The kings of the earth set themselves. The, the rulers take counsel together. There's actually this, this, this unifying of, of the world. And what we see at the unifying of the world is that they're actually, they're, they're working together. And they have set themselves, they have set themselves. In other words, this idea, like, they didn't just find themselves here. It didn't just happen this way. This was a cautious decision. They have set themselves against God and against His anointed one. But, but, but they are unified in it. It's interesting because people think that world peace is the goal. And I will tell you this, and every beauty contestant to go with, the world peace is not the goal. For we could be a world that is unified. But we could be a world that is unified by rulers and nations in its rebellion to God. And we would be no better off. You ever read Genesis chapter 11? We're going to get to it. Spoiler alert. is that it's about the Tower of Babel. And you know what we see with the Tower of Babel? Is that God said, go, go into all of the world. Spread out. And the people of the Tower of Babel said, well, we got an idea. How about we don't? How about we stay here? And how about people come to us? And how about people come to us and they realize how great we are? God says, go out and spread my greatness. And we, they say, how about we stay here and people see our greatness? Unified in purpose. We go, isn't that the picture? At peace, working together. Beautiful picture of humanity. You know what God says? Nope. Nope. Going to thwart that plan. You know, I'm going to thwart that plan because that plan is in direct rebellion against me. And so the whole world could be unified. Here we actually see the kings are unified, they're together, at least on one thing. And what's the source of the rebellion? They want to burst the bonds apart. They want to be free from God. Isn't that the cry of our culture? I'll tell you what. If we could just throw God off. Get God out of here. Put God aside. If we could just have, by the way, this is what secularism is. If we could just have conversations about humanity that don't include God then we would be better off. That's actually how we achieve true freedom. If we can be autonomous, our own kings, our own bosses, we get to make the rules. We answer to no one. If we can do that, we need to. in order to do that, then we, can, we have to throw off God. If we can throw off God, then we get to be autonomous. And then that's how we find true freedom. True freedom is this idea that I get to do whatever I want to do. It's the cry of our world. And so the nations are raging. And for what? The nations are raging and conspiring for what? To throw off the rule of God. And you go, what's well, happening right now? I go, yeah, yeah. And it's not new. Psalm 2 talks just about it. And here it's not new. You know where we first see this? Genesis 3. What does is, what is Satan tell Eve? Did God say you couldn't eat from any of these trees? That seems like that's really limiting on God to say you couldn't eat from any of these trees. And she says, "No, no, 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 no. We can eat of any of these trees. We just can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because in the day that we do that or touch it, then we die." You know what Satan says? You like, die, die, I'm die. No, no, no. The reason why God told you not to do that was because he knows that in the day that you do that, your eyes will be opened and you will truly be like him. And so for the first time, we see human wisdom, or lack thereof, Trump's divine edict. Satan's like, you want to be free? Throw off the rule of God you want to experience true freedom, you throw off the rule of God. God's enslaved you, telling you don't do this. Who who, who does he think he is? And the only reason he's done that is because he's trying to keep from you something greater. That's why. And so then Eve eats of the fruit, and so does Adam. And the interesting thing is that they're not freed. The ironic thing is that then they become enslaved. You see, what Satan said was that you are enslaved and if you throw off God, you will be free. But what happens, so they, they want the freedom, they want to lose the enslavement, but by throwing off God, they actually lose the thing they already had, which was the freedom, and take on the thing they were avoiding, which was the enslavement. And so we see this with Adam and Eve. We see this with the kings. And we, we see this with you, right? You see this with yourself. I see this with me. Have you, ever, have you ever thrown off what God said and just found yourself not free but enslaved? Yep. We all have a list of stories. We could sit around here, we could sing kumbaya, roast marshmallows, and tell stories about times when we thought we were making a decision because we got to do what we wanted to do. I got to be free, finally free. And all you found yourself was not the freedom you were looking for, but the enslavement you were trying to avoid. It's not new with you, it's not new in Psalm 2. We see this going all the way back to Genesis 3, the original lie. And what happens there, what happens in Psalm 2, and what happens in your life is that you think that, that, that true freedom comes from individual autonomy, but then you sacrifice relational intimacy. Do so you think that freedom comes from from individual autonomy. I get to do what I want to do. But in reality, I believe as we see in the scriptures, it actually comes, freedom comes from relational intimacy. I mean, I talk with people. When, where is the time in your life when you felt the most, quote unquote, free? You look back on your life and you were just, because you may not have felt that in the moment, when you look back on your life, you go, I felt the most free. I would suggest and submit to most of you in this room, you would think about a time when you were relationally secure. I felt so so secure. I felt warm. I I felt the relationships were strong. And for some of you in this room, because of the individual autonomy that you so sought to free you, you broke relational intimacy that has now entrapped you. But that's actually the story of the gospel. We have thrown off the rule of God for the the name of individual autonomy, and all that we have gotten is the enslavement because we, we broke the relational intimacy. And so what we see here is that the nations are raging. It gives us the picture of the earth. Nations are raging. Throwing off the rule of God. You might think to yourself, I wonder what God thinks about all that. I'm glad you asked that question because it's answered for us in Psalm 4. Sorry, verse 4. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. He who sits in heaven laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. And so, here we see this God's response. Here I have a picture of all the nations plotting, working together. How do we throw God off? How do, we be, how do we go after our own autonomy, our, our, own, our own sufficiency? How can we do all of that? And they're making these plans. Okay, if we do this and if we do this and if we enact that and if we go here and if we conquer that, God looking down from heaven and all that, what does it say? Laughing. <laughs> the idea is mocking. I, I picture God like, oh, isn't like God, look at what they're doing. Oh, isn't that cute? Look what they're doing down there thinking they can rebel. Look at that. Isn't that cute? Like this, this idea that he laughs and he mocks. But what I want you to notice is what his response is not. His response is not concern. His response is not bewilderment. <gasps> the nation's raged and God's not from heaven going, well, what happened? So it's not bewilderment. He's not caught off guard. And it's not Fear. What are we going to do now? They're raging. <gasps> they can't rage. They can't rage. They can't plot. God is either, there's 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 no bewilderment, there's no fear. Now, the interesting thing is is that as the nations are raging right now and plotting to throw off the rule of God, do you know that commonly the Christian's response is one of bewilderment and fear? People come and like <gasps> Josh the there there is there is policy that is coming down the pike that's going to take God out of X, Y, or Z. Yeah. Well, this is, what are we going to do? Like, well, I don't know. I mean, we, I think we should, we, should, we, should, we should vote. We should, we should, we should make our, our statements known. But at the end of the day, we should have not fear nor bewilderment. We should not be shocked. We go, yeah, actually, that's, that sounds about par for course. That's how the world goes. Nor should we be afraid. But do you know why God is not bewildered? Do you know why God is not afraid? Because it tells us right there, because he has established his ruler in heaven. As for me, the nations rage, as for me, I have set, you say, I have set my king on my holy mountain. By the way, this is Jerusalem. Zion, the holy mountain is Jerusalem. The nations have set themselves against me, but guess what I did? I set, I set, they set themselves against me. You know what I did is I set my king on my mountain. That's what I did. And so what we get in, in verses 1 through 3, we get this picture of what heaven's like. Sorry, well, what the earth is like. They're raging. And then it's interesting that, that 4 through 6 then gives us this picture of what's happening in heaven. God's laughing, like, wasn't that cute? And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'll tell you how I'll respond to that, is I'm going to put my king on my mountain. Then we see verses 7 through 9. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, now this is to the anointed. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth, your possessions. You shall break them like a rod, a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Let me read that again. I will decree of, I will, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage. At the ends of the earth your possessions you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like the potter's vessels so 1 through 3 we see the picture of the earth raging then in verses 4 through 6 we see this picture of heaven god laughing and establishing his king then what we see then in 7 through 9 is we see that which is of heaven come down to earth and I want you to notice that God gives the decree. The nations, the nations say, we're going to overthrow God. And God says, I got a decree. You know why he gives a decree? Because that's what kings do. Kings don't give suggestions. The kings don't pull you into their courtroom and go, hey, I, a couple things I want to run right by you. You know? a, couple, a couple of things I'd like to, to submit for your approval. Kings don't do that. Kings give decrees. Remember, not advice to be weighed, but decrees to be followed. And then what we see here, God's response to the raging nations who are trying to overthrow him is is he laughs at them, he mocks them, but then he takes what is true of heaven and establishes it on earth. It's interesting, because often what we want to do is we want to take the things of earth and make them about heaven. And so a lot of times when you talk with people like, what, what do you think heaven is like? Really it is all, and, and to our defense, all that we, this is all that we really know. But what we think about heaven is an intense, perfect experience of what's already on earth. And so you say, what, like, what do you think it has in heaven? Heaven. All of my loved ones. I will see all of my loved ones there, and we just get to hang out all day long. Great. What about your enemies? Oh, well, okay. Most of them probably aren't going to make it, because I've already talked to the Lord about that. And the ones that are are going to be quarantined in another part of heaven, because I don't like them, right? And so what are we trying to do? The things I like about earth, I'm trying to intensify that, so that that would be true of heaven. Or maybe somebody would say, like, what do you think about heaven? Well, I think that—so I love ice cream, love ice cream, hate the calorie count. And so I think that, that heaven will be where I can just eat as much ice cream as I want, right? And so I get to eat all of—I get to have what I want, an intensified earth experience in heaven, and it's perfection, and I get that for eternity. But really what we're trying to do, like I said, to our defense, all that we—this is all that we know. And so we're trying to take the good things and intensify them, make them eternal— but really, at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is we're trying to take what are, like what's of earth and then take it up to heaven. But you know what Scripture talks a lot more about? Heaven, the things that are true about heaven, descending and coming down to the earth. You know the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's, that's the prayer to say, God, would what be true of your kingdom in heaven, what would that be true of there? May that actually also be true down here. And this is actually what, what, Psalm, what Psalm, is, Psalm 2 is saying. Is that the the, the the nations are going to rage, God's going to mock, establish His King on the holy hill, and then what is true of heaven, then it's going to be true of the earth. Do you know what Revelation twenty one talks? It talks about when it talks about a new Jerusalem. It talks about it what? It's coming down from heaven to the earth. Christianity is unique to say it's not. It's not man, humanity, reaching up to God as much as as the gospel is, then God has reached down to us. Heaven's coming down. This This is what Psalm says to us. Heaven is coming down, and when it comes down, it says, I will give the ends of the earth as a possession. It's all yours. Jesus tells the disciples, go into all of the world, go to the ends of the world. Take them the gospel. Make disciples. And he says then, you shall break them. They're going to rage and plot against you, but you're going to break them an iron rod and a potter's vessel. There's God, there's his king, and the raging nations. One of them is an iron rod. The other one is a clay pot. I'll let you figure out which one's which. And the one, much like a baseball bat that hits pottery, one is going to win. And so when it talks about the king, Nations are raging. God's response is, I'm going to establish my king. And in establishing my king, heaven is going to come to earth. And so what do we do with that? How should we respond? I'm glad you asked that question. You guys have really good questions this morning, by the way. (laughs) Really good questions. Because that's 10 through 12. Now therefore, O kings, because of all that's true, because the nations are raging, trying to throw off God, because God has established his king on his mountain and is going to bring down the things of heaven are going to come down to earth. Because all of that is true, now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. I love that. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. The nations have raged against Him. And then it ends, blessed are all who take refuge in him. For, just so you know, you you can't take refuge from the Lord. You can only take refuge in the Lord. The nations are trying to take refuge from the Lord. And what they're going to find out is that you can only take refuge in the Lord. And so... Because all that's true, as you conspire, O kings, as you work together, O kings, I want you to know this, be wise. Be wise and be warned. Wisdom is this idea that we have the right information with the right action. The right information with the wrong action is considered to be foolishness, but the right action with, sorry, the right information with the right action, we go, that's wisdom. So he said, I've given you a lot of information. Now, Now you should have the right response. So be wise and be warned. In other words, you can't say we didn't know. I didn't know. No, 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 no. You knew. Not only you knew, but you you were warned not to act foolishly, and then you did. And so then I love so to not act to act wisely and not foolishly. He says, I want you to serve the Lord, rejoice with trembling. And kiss the sun. Serve the Lord and kiss the sun. Serve can also be translated as worship. So worship the Lord and kiss the sun. This idea of worship. So God has established his king. Heaven's coming down to earth. How should we respond? Well, we should respond with worship. Do you know, like, uh, we're created to worship. We all worship something. Even people who say, I don't worship anything. No, I don't worship anything. Like, no, actually, you worship something. You know, we worship worship culture. We worship possessions. We worship ourselves. We're, We're so big in worshiping ourselves right now. We worship ourselves. We worship our educations. We worship our finances. We have greater value for those things. And I go, you, you want to find out what you worship? Figure out what takes priority over everything else. What takes priority over everything else? I would love to do that, but, you know... I can't do that right now because this, oh, okay. So now what, what takes priority, every, everything else? What, what, is that, what, do you, what, what is the thing where you run every single decision through? Because the answer to that question is probably going to be the answer to the question is it, what do you worship? You go, well, I do what's best for me. Hey, you do you, I do me. That's fine. But that just tells me that you worship you most. So he says, I want you to worship the Lord and kiss the sun. You go, well, what does that mean? Like, isn't that that one that one song something about a sloppy wet kiss? Is that what that means, or like an unforeseen kiss? Depends on your camp. Is that what that means? Kiss the sun. Do you know why you would you would you would kiss the king? It's an act of submission and allegiance. I submit to you. And I belong to you. That you would actually kiss the king out of a sign of submission and allegiance. So not only are we to, to worship the Lord, but we're also to, to submit to the Lord. Not only are to, to, to worship the king, Jesus, but we're to submit to the king. And here's the other thing. It's like we're also created to submit. And truth is, is that, is that all of you, all of us, all of us in this room, we're going to submit to something. We're all going to submit to something. And what the scriptures tell us is that it's the king. And by the way, the the worship is the thing you value the most in your life. And often submission is the thing that we follow the most in our life. And truth be told, what we submit to will often dictate what we worship. Whatever you submit to, most likely, this is often the case, whatever you submit to is also going to be the thing that you worship. And so this is what the psalmist tells us. The nations are raging. God's response is one of laughter, but then also establishing his king on the earth so that that what is true of heaven comes down to earth. And the nations are trying to overthrow, but that's not the response. The response should not be one of overthrowing. The response should be one of worship and submission. Do you know that Jesus, when he came as the Messiah, they knew that the Messiah was the king. That's why it was important that he was from the line of David. David, the great king, that the coming Messiah, the coming king, was going to be from the, 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 the line of David. And he was going to sit on David's throne. He was going to be the king. And so that's why when Jesus shows up, are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? One of the questions they're asking is, are you the king we've been waiting for? And Jesus at the appropriate time says, yep. Yep. I am the king. But I just want you to know that this king looks very different than what you thought. And this kingdom is going to look a lot different than you thought. But you have a choice. Will you worship and submit? Or will you overthrow the king? And what the gospel tells us is the what? They decided to try to overthrow the king. We just call it, are you, are you the king of the Jews? They put over him, king of the Jews. We wanted to say he said he was the king of the Jews. Too late, too late, king of the Jews. And interestingly enough, as, as proclamation of king, as king, is that he's then he's rejected and try to be overthrown by both the Jews and the Gentiles, the non-Jews. But interestingly enough, what did God say? I will establish my king on my mountain in Jerusalem. Not, okay, the nations have their plan, I've got my plan, we'll see who wins. I think my plan is better than their plan. No, no, no. I know that they rage. I know that they rage. But here's the thing. My answer to their raging is, I'll tell you exactly, my decree is that I'm going to establish my king in Jerusalem. And so when they come, they go, we're going to overthrow you, God, as king once again. We did it back in First Samuel. We'll do it again. And we're going to keep on doing it again until finally Jesus returns a second time. But we're going to keep on doing it. So when they reject him, little did they know But we know now is that it was securing his place as king. And once again, the very thing that they were trying to avoid, which was God as king, was the very thing they were establishing, not even knowing it. And so Jesus as the good king takes the rebellion, turns it, and uses it for his establishment. And so for you, for me, we get to decide at some level not who is king, but we get to decide what we will do with the kingship of God. Either we will submit and worship the king because that's what we were created to do or we will overthrow him in the name of freedom. And in doing so, the only thing we'll find is the very thing we're trying to avoid, which is enslavement. And so my, my, my question to you is, is like, who is your king? I well, were at church at 11 o'clock-ish on a Sunday, so I know the answer is Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. But no, no, like, seriously, like, like you look at your life. Who's your king? It's interesting because people think, well, I, I, like, I'll, I'll, I listen to Jesus as long as I agree with him. You go, okay, okay, then he's not a king. He's, like, he's, he's just a rally squad. Like, yeah, like, Jesus, like, I'm going to go do this. And Jesus' like, yeah, you should go do that. I'm like, okay, I got it. My question to you is like, the last time you disagreed with God, who won? If the last time you disagreed with God, you prevailed, I'm going to think that you don't have a king maybe you are your king but at the last time that you and God did this and he prevailed and I would think that maybe you do have a king you don't have just a friend but you have a friend and a king you have a king who is your friend and so the question to you is, who's your king? Jesus is the king of the world. He's the Lord of lords, the kings of kings. And one day when he comes back, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. You can overthrow him now, but you cannot overthrow him eternally. And my, my, I implore you that to his kingship, that you would, you would respond with both worship and submission. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Psalm 2 and its power. We thank you that, Jesus, that even in the places in which we tried to reject you, you did not reject us. That even in our rejection, the scripture tells us that even in our rejection, that you were making a way for us, a way to belong And so, Jesus, I pray that you would take your rightful place in, in our lives, on your throne. As, as A. W. Tozer says, that we are all, we're all usurpers sitting on stolen thrones. It's not ours. The nations rage; we rage. Politicians rage. Our neighbors rage. But may we not rage. May we not plot in vain. May we respond to your kingship with submission and worship. And Jesus, in our submission of worship to you and of you and your kingship, may we find the freedom and the relational intimacy that we so long for. We love you. We pray for these things in your name. Amen.